invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 62 for our scripture reading. We're using a pew Bible that can be found on page 566. Psalm 62, as you're turning there, we have to mention earlier that this afternoon at 2.30, there will be a chapel service that Emmanuel, that we will be holding at Oak Grove Retirement Home uh, this afternoon. So if you're uh, willing and able, uh, you may join the uh, fellowship there as uh, that begins at 2.30 this afternoon. Psalm 62 this is the GEMS uh, theme psalm of the year. It's a good one, a wonderful psalm. And it can be said that Psalms 61, 62, and 63 uh, go together. We're kind of uncertain as to the, the context of, of these psalms. Psalm 62, let us now hear God's word. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that, God, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. As far as the reading of God's law, let's ask his blessing in a time of prayer. Gracious God and Father, we pray that you would shower us with your blessing and spirits so that we may not only hear the word, but live in accordance with the word. That we would not only hear the word, but remember always the word. And if we forget, oh, remind us of our need to always hear the promise of your holy word, the promise of the gospel. So that we, O oh Lord, would walk in a manner worthy of the calling and keep guard over our hearts the temptations of the evil one, of Satan, of the flesh, and of this world. Teach us to be watchful over our hearts. Teach us what the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of the Lord God, is teaching the church of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Congregation of Christ, King David 
had a living and active faith in the Lord. In the Psalms, David and other psalmists open and expose their hearts to God. And we, in many respects, truly have become the audience. Imagine that you're a writer of a psalm. Now, we understand that the psalms, too, are the Word of God and inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. God is the author. But David and the other psalmists wrote from experience what they knew about God. And they're exposing their hearts. <laughs> How they feel in their inner man, in their inner being. Their pain, their suffering of soul. Their joys. Their heartaches, their troubles, their trials. All of it. Exposed. Their prayers and songs have become psalms and prayers for the church of Jesus Christ. We learn to cry out in like manner. We learn what it means to confess our sins as the psalmist did. We learn what it means to wait on the Lord in the day of trouble. The psalmist experience is an experience of the soul, of the heart. What they believed. But it's a shared experience. We share with them as Christians, as the people of God. And we learn from them. We learn from our forefathers. We learn from the Scriptures what it means to cry out to the Lord, to confess to the Lord, to wait on the Lord. In the previous psalm, Psalm 61, David cries out to the Lord. It's a prayer to God. In Psalm 62, David preaches to himself. And to others, in Psalm 63, he goes back to pre or praying to God. So in the middle here, in Psalm 62, he's preaching to himself after he has prayed to God. In other words, soul, remember. Remember who your God is and what he has done and what he's about to do. Look with me in your Bible. Verse 1, for God alone my soul waits in silence from him comes my salvation. The word alone there is used six times in this psalm. And it can be translated truly. Like in the New Testament, you have verily, verily, or truly, truly. Yes. It's a, it's a, a particle of affirmation. Yes. That's why my title of my sermon is, Yes, my soul waits for the Lord. Yes. My soul waits for the Lord. First, my soul quietly waits in confidence in the Lord. My soul quietly waits in confidence of, in the Lord. For God alone, yes, God, my soul waits in silence. My life, my being, my heart quietly waits. Literally, it's one word, quietly waits. From Him comes salvation. The word salvation is Yeshua. From Him comes my salvation. He alone, yes, He is my rock. Yes, He is God. Yes, He is my rock. Words of affirmation, of confession. Words of confidence. He is a confident prayer warrior. He is a confident believer in God. Yes, His soul waits in confidence 
in the Lord God. How does he wait in the day of trouble? He waits quietly, waits in silence because from God comes his salvation. From God comes comes salvation. In other words, David rests. This word quietly waits also um, has the, the meaning of resting. When you're resting, you're resting in silence. You're quiet. When you get home from a long day's work and you rest, you feel that quietness come over you. You're like, you take that deep breath, that deep sigh. Ah, that feels good. That feels good. In the day of trouble, isn't it nice and pleasant when you take that deep sigh and rest? When you rest in Jesus, David rests in the fact that God will act. Not so much that God will speak to him, because we'll see that at the end, what's said there. It's not, it's not waiting quietly in, in uh, confidence for God to speak to him, but waiting for God to act, to work salvation from him. He's looking out in faith, confidently, because from God's going to come his help, his salvation. And so his soul rests in that. In a day of trouble, salvation comes from God, and he will bring complete salvation. The salvation referred to here in which he quietly waits for in confidence is a salvation that includes everything in salvation, even vindication, even God's enemies being judged. It's not just being saved from a particular trial or trouble that you're going through. No, the, the idea here is a complete salvation, a complete redemption where God comes and He takes care of all things. All things. And so congregation, His confidence in the Lord is grounded in, grounded in who God is, and what he has promised beforehand. He's going to take God at his word and wait for God to act. Confidently confessing. Notice there. Notice there in your Bible. Verse 2. He alone is, yes, he is my rock. Salvation not only comes from him, but when it comes, he is those things. He is a rock. That means he is a firm, secure place on which you can stand. If you've gone hiking and you're on a a tricky trail and there's pebbles and little rocks and your foot slips, the idea here is like a big boulder, something that you can stand upon knowing that the rock's not going to be moved. I remember when we went to um, to Arizona there in the Grand Canyon, you know, you, you want to get as close as you can, but the fear is that what if, what if it cracks, you know, you get to the tip of it, what if, it, what if you fall because of the rock breaks? The idea here is a firm foundation, a firm rock, a rock of security, and that's who God is when he comes. When he comes to his people, he comes as a security. The God you can place your trust in knowing that he is immovable and therefore, because of faith, you are immovable. Girls, unshakable, right? Unshakable. 
He is my rock. He is my salvation. He is my Yeshua, my Savior. We see this in the incarnate Christ. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. He is Yeshua. We'll get into that in a moment. He is a fortress, an impenetrable stronghold. So he is our security. He is our salvation. He is our stronghold. If you want a three-point sermon on who God is from this text. Our security, our salvation, our stronghold. In other words, if you're in God, if you're in Christ by faith alone, you are impenetrable because he is impenetrable. Because you are in him. You are in Christ. You are in the Lord. And you shall not be shaken. What a beautiful confession of faith. An unshakable faith in the only God who can help us in times of spiritual darkness, in the day of trouble, in the day of sorrow, in the day of suffering. What better place than to reside in God and be in God and find security in God. That the world around you, the external pressures of this world can cave in around you and yet in your very soul, in your being, you can quietly wait upon the God who saves in his time and for his glory and for the good of his people. Yes, my soul quietly waits for the Lord in confidence. What's your confidence this day? What's your confidence in the day of trouble? Friends, in Christ alone, God acted and initiated the salvation of his people through the blood of his son to place us upon the rock, that good confession. Not only that, but saving us from our sins and saving us from the wrath and judgment of Almighty God. God saved us from himself and his wrath and placed us in his impenetrable stronghold, in his fortress, on the rock, being Christ. Our confidence is in the Lord who made heaven and earth, and therefore we too are unshakable if we are in Christ. Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? That is, do you know Christ and him crucified and risen? Have you repented and turned to him in faith? If you have not, you are on sinking sand. You are not on the rock. Your hopes and dreams will fail you. But if you are found in Christ, if you believe in his name, you are on the rock, and your salvation is firm and fixed in him. You shall not be moved. Do a spiritual inventory, friend. What is your confidence in? What is your confidence in? David puts no confidence in the strength of men or human beings. He puts no confidence in the flesh. He puts no confidence in humanism. Man is the measure of all things. Man determines ethics and morality. Man determines all things, determines all things by man's rationale, by reason, by empiricism, by experience. Man is the measure of all things. This is contrary to what David is putting his trust in. He puts his trust in the name of the Lord who is the true wisdom and knowledge for all believers. Verse 3, how long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Literally, how long will you attack a man that you may slay him, destroy him, like a leaning wall or a towering fence? Many of you perhaps have had a fence that was blown by the wind and that thing is like 
shaking and moving. Every time you see a storm, that thing is just swinging in the air, ready to go down. And wives, you're telling your husbands, when are you going to get that fixed? The works and words of the unrighteous and unbeliever are called out here. Their works are like a battering ram going against the fortress, pummeling the, the, the walls, pummeling the doors. Have you ever watched medieval films and nations rising against nations and they bring armed forces against them? They have that battering ram that goes back and forth, battering into the, the gates, trying to destroy it. That's what men are like. That's what unbelief is like. That is what the unrighteous are doing to the righteous. Verse 4, they only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Many interpreters believe the high position there is, is, is the righteous and the unrighteous attack, attacking and trying to destroy the righteous. Or perhaps it could be be meaning here the king of Israel, the king and his people. Regardless, we're talking about the righteous being attacked by the unrighteous, the wicked who seek to destroy and devour. But David will have none of that. In fact, he calls them out. He calls them out. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? Yes, the intentions of man are evil, Evil. When the world, the flesh, and the devil seek to ruin and attack you like a battering ram, what is your confidence in? In times of trouble, can you say, my soul, wait quietly, wait in silence for the Lord? When men persecute you or hate you or speak evil against you, what's your response? Isn't it our natural inclination? Listen, is it in our natural inclination? To impatiently busy ourselves with complaining, with discontentment in the day of trouble. What does David do? He quietly waits because you know why? You know why he confidently waits? Silencing his heart? Because he's looking to God. He's looking to God, the one who will judge justly. At the end of the day, it is God who judges justly. Isn't it more natural for us to forget his promise and word? Think about that. Isn't it more natural for us to forget? Isn't that what doubting is? When we doubt, we are forgetting. Put that down. You're taking notes. When we doubt, we are forgetting. We are not remembering the promise of God and his word. And so what do we need to do? Christian, preach to yourself. Preach to yourself what God has spoken to you in his word. What God speaks to you Sunday after Sunday. What God speaks to you in your daily devotions. Preach to yourself. David's faith is unshakable and immovable because his God is unshakable and immovable. Immovable here. This idea of being greatly shaken is not tottering or tipping or slipping. That's the idea. Yeah, the external pressure may make us totter or slip, but our faith will not give way. Yes, we will have challenges. We will have doubts. We'll have struggles spiritually. 
but our faith will not give way. No man can knock down a man who's confident in the Lord, who trusts in the Lord, who trusts in his son Jesus, because Jesus is our rock, our fortress, our stronghold. I love stanza four of a mighty fortress is our God. Listen carefully. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindreds go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill. The body they may kill. In other words, the battering ram may assail you against the flesh, the physical body, but God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Christian, quietly quietly wait in confidence in the Lord because your soul finds its peace, finds its salvation, finds its hope, finds its very life in God through Christ. Because the worst thing a person can do to you is kill your body. But they cannot destroy your soul. You are found in Christ, your security. Jesus says, do not fear him. Who kills just the body, fear him who kills both body and soul in hell. Fear God. Fear God. The city of man has no power and dominion over the city of God. The city of God are those who belong to Christ. Paul puts no trust in man. Philippians 3, Paul writes, Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and take pride in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself could boast as having confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he is confident in the flesh, I have more reason. No, the flesh, the world, and the devil put no confidence in these things. Put your confidence in Christ. Quietly wait in confidence in the Lord. Secondly, quietly wait in expectation for the Lord. Verse 5, for alone, yes, for God, my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from Him. My hope is from Him. Yes, He is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Our hope is grounded in the promise of God. My hope is from Him. My salvation is from Him, and therefore I am confident. My hope is from Him, and therefore I quietly wait in expectation. Because the word hope here, interestingly, means cord. You think of a cord In those days were various threads woven together that connected to things. Our hope, our hope figuratively means here that the cord is attached to something. We are attached to Christ. We are attached to the Lord. We quietly wait in expectation which is bound or connected to Christ, to God and His promise. 
And so this word hope here means literally cord that has a figurative meaning of bounding together, tightening together, connecting together, and we are connected as God's people to the promise of God and the expectation that he will come and bring salvation. A salvation that David was expecting and a salvation that we have come to know in Christ and we are expecting now even as Christians, expecting the day when he shall come again, that sure and certain hope that we have as believers, that yes, Jesus came and died and rose again, but we wait for his coming again. And David exhorts all the people of God to trust in the Lord, to hope or wait in expectation of his coming salvation, which he promised to those who trust him. We hope in God because he is true. His word is true. His promise is true. Especially regarding to the coming of salvation, the coming of Christ, the fulfillment of all the promises of God that are yes and amen in Christ. With man, there's no hope. In fact, we see there, those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion, set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Whether high estate, low estate, all men are but a breath. That's what we are, like a mist. On the balance, on the scale, we are on the same playing field. We are all weak and unable to save ourselves in the day of trouble. And so let God be true and every man a liar. And the truth is found in God's word. Remember that, girls. The truth is in God's word. You can trust in him. You can trust in him in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you can trust in Him for forgiveness, for mercy. To trust in Him that He walks with you and He talks to you in His Word and by His Spirit. Therefore, look to the promise of God's Word. Preach to yourself the Word, the promise of God's Word. Trust in Him at all times and in all circumstances, He says. All times and all circumstances. I wonder how much the Apostle Paul had in mind Psalm 62 when he wrote Philippians. Especially Philippians 3 and 4, which Reverend Brummel did a wonderful job last week in teaching us from that, those chapters. The confidence we have in Christ. Our soul quietly waits in expectation and hope of God's promise. In his word, promises we have in Christ. Thirdly, lastly, the source of our confidence and hope is God's power and steadfast love. The source of our confidence and hope is God's power and steadfast love. Verse 11, once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. In the day of trouble, what's the basis of our confidence and hope in the Lord? That once God has spoken, twice have I heard it, God has spoken to David. How is he going to not only hear what he has spoken to David, is he going to believe it? Is he going to trust it? 
Is he going to confidently and expectantly wait for the Lord? Spurgeon said, we often speak and say nothing. We often speak and say nothing. God speaks once and utters verities, that is, eternal truths. God speaks once or speaks often. And when he does, once or twice, he speaks truths that are eternal. In fact, he speaks once, and they are eternal truths that are to be obeyed and followed and loved and cherished. So God spoke the word of his promise that power and steadfast love or hesed or mercy belong to him because salvation comes from him to save his people with great power according to his steadfast love. You see, it's the love of God in Christ that has come to save us from our sins through the sacrificial death on the cross. And that power of the gospel is on display in the salvation of sinners. When God, by His Spirit, is drawing many to repentance and faith, that power of the cross, the power of the blood of Christ, the power of Christ in us is at work because of His steadfast love. Power and steadfast love belong to God. God is making new creations. Transformation He's bringing about. It is His love that moves the, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to act in human history and to secure the salvation of His blood-bought people. Power belongs to God. Paul says, Paul says that the power of the gospel, the power of God unto salvation, is for Jew and Gentile. And that power of the gospel to save us from our sins is at work according to his steadfast love for the people of God. Power and steadfast love, that's the source of our confidence and hope in God. The psalmist illustrates his point that by his power and steadfast love, he will reward each man according to their works. Every person's word and work are known by the Lord. He will reward each man according to his word and works. Can you imagine that for a second? That your words and your works are measured by God. Is that not a fearful thing when you think about it? And consider that the God of heaven and earth knows every whisper, every thought, everything in your mind and hearts. Works done through faith in Christ and in Christ, however, are cleansed and purified by the Spirit. Works done through Christ and in Christ are works pleasing to God. So in faith, we come before God Faith in Christ, pleading His shed blood, pleading His righteousness. And Christ welcomes us into the presence of God the Father. Father welcomes us as His children. But to the unbeliever, to the unbeliever, there's a warning that if they do not trust in the Lord, their works will find them out and they will be judged. For their works will be found out, for he will render to a man according to his work, and if their works are not found in Christ, 
if they do not have faith in Christ, then their feet will slip. They will totter. The battering ram of God's judgments will be upon unbelief. Unshakable faith is a faith that has a quiet confidence and expectation in an unshakable God who saves completely in his time. He sets us upon the rock, Jesus, and protects us by his grace. He's a mighty fortress. Recently, I spoke a few times at the Emmanuel's Ladies Bible Study on the topic of what is woke, what is progressive ideology, progressive worldview that we see in our culture and day. Um, and why, why does it matter? Why, why should we even care about these things? And what's the Christian response? Today there's an anti-Christ, not an atheistic, but an anti-God atmosphere and belief in this world. An anti-Christ and an anti-God. We need to remember that the atheistic worldview is there is no God and I hate him. There is no God, and I hate him. And I bring this up because boys and girls, young people, you need to know this, that the devil is deceitful, and the philosophies of this world, worldly philosophy, is deceitful and destroying people's lives. And it's come into the church and is destroying churches. This is a really real threat that exists. A world and life view manifested by hate and ungodliness, lies and deceptions. One of the key beliefs of progressive teachings, which ultimately stems from uh, a few philosophers, which I won't go into, but essentially teaches this exerting of power over authority structures. That's one of the key tenets or beliefs of progressivism. Power over authority. Authority structures. Demantle them. Destroy them. Demolish them. And their objective is to demolish oppressive authority structures in institutions, but are particularly in families. Going all the way back to Marx and Engels. Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels. Get to the home. You can destroy the home. You have them in your hands. Destroy the nuclear family. Dad, Mom, Billy, and Janie. Destroy them. Most of all, destroy the father of the home. You remove the father, you got him. You have him. Destroy the home and the oppressive father because wives and children, you're the oppressed and your dad and your father are the oppressors. This is the thinking of the, these people of this worldview. It's a false teaching, an evil teaching from the pit of hell. Destroy the Father so that wives and children can be liberated and exert power now over those authorities over them like fathers and husbands. In the first quarter of the 1900s, Marxism started taking root in a way that wasn't seen before. 
and proponents of Marxism realize we need to get out of these fringe groups and come together, come together. And there was a certain school called the Frankfurt School, and so they came together. How are we going to demolish? How are we going to destroy? Friends, what we see now was happening decades ago, long ago. Back in the 1800s, it just took time because the devil was rallying the troops. Teach and train. This is, this is, the, this is the thinking. And I'm going I'm to tell you why I'm bringing this into this conversation here, Psalm 20, 62. They determine this school of thought that if we bring this into academics, into the colleges and universities and the elites, we're going to teach future teachers to be activists. And these activist teachers are going to go into schools, and they're going to go to little elementary school kids and indoctrinate them so that they become little activists. And then when they grow up, they're going to exert power over authority. To give you an illustration or example of this, when you want to destroy a church and the true doctrine of the Christian faith in a church, what do you do? You start in the seminary. You have professors teaching seminarians false doctrines. Those seminarians go into churches, teach false doctrine, and then what do you have? You have a church that teaches false doctrine. I want you to listen to this. This is important. We need to hear this. Because David here has a, a quietly waits, confidently and expectantly in the Lord, in the promise of God's word, the truth. This is a battle for truth, children. Who are you going to listen to? Are you going to have, are you going to listen to God or are you going to listen to man? That's why I bring this up. And this is right in our backyard here too. Don't kid yourself. Listen to one one so-called minister wrote, Charles Francis Potter, who believed that secular humanism was not the end of religion, but the beginning of a new one based on man, not God. Schools, he believed, would become secular seminaries indoctrinating the, the future. Listen to what he wrote. Education is thus a most powerful ally of humanism, and every public school is a school of humanism. He said, what can the theistic Sunday school meeting for an hour once a week and teaching only a fraction of the children due to stem the tide of a five-day program of humanistic teachings. Parents, are you hearing what he's saying? Didn't we just hear recently that teachers, you're the child's parents when they're with you? What's happening in our homes? The revolutionary goal for the early elementary years was to separate children from parents, not only physically, but also by undermining and fracturing the influence and authority of parents by injecting a slow drip of ideology into the school system. That's their goal. 
the ungodly fruit of this is right in our backyard. Many people of all ages are being tottered like a fence by the enemy. Guard your hearts. Girls, boys, parents, guard your hearts. Stand upon the rock of Christ, the Christ of Scripture. If you hear something, the teachings in this world, and you start questioning it, there's a, there's a reason why you're questioning it. This word is the living word of God on which we stand upon. God spoke once, and the second time I heard it, don't forget it. Don't forget it. He spoke. Stand firm. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Beware of empty philosophies. Paul warns us over and over again. And I want to close with Proverbs 3. Turn with me in your Bible to Proverbs 3, verses 21 to 26. Proverbs 3, verses 21 to 26. Talking about wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom of Christ. Wisdom of the Word. The wisdom of God. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Boys and girls, do not lose sight of these. Do not lose sight of what your Christian parents have been teaching you. Do not lose sight of what God is teaching you because there's an enemy who seeks to devour you. I plead with you. I plead with you in the name of Christ to cling to him. Cling to the truth. Verse 22, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Have confidence in the Lord. Wait for the Lord in expectation. Because power and steadfast love belong to him. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, O oh God, for your precious word, the living word of God, which is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. The word of God that is inspired and true and right and good and teaches us the way to, to heaven and teaches us the way to you, O oh Father, through Christ our Lord. Keep us firm and fixed upon this glorious truth. Guard our hearts, O Lord, by the power of your word and spirit. May we be diligent, O Lord, in the things of your word, in the things of God, and not neglect, O Lord, your word. Father, help us, we pray. I pray again for our young people, our children, that you would protect them from the evil one and guard their hearts. May that be the case for all of us.